What is up, Z-Pack? It's your boy ZDougMD. I'm live and direct up my backyard. It's like 100 degrees. It's Vegas. The summer is ending, but it's still Africa hot. Uh, so I thought I'd check in with you guys. I haven't done a live for y'all in a while. Um, one quick piece of housekeeping before we get into today's discussion and get your comments. Uh, we have this new function through Facebook, which is a beta test where you can subscribe. You can become a, um, a super pack member, if you will, for $4.99 a month. There's a little button that says become a supporter. If you do that, you can cancel at any time. It's a new thing we're trying. So for, the, for people who are subscribers, you get access to live videos that I do almost every day where it's just me and a couple hundred people chatting. And we get deep into things that I think the broader page may not have the patience for. Uh, we also release early videos there and exclusive sort of behind the scenes, uh, uh, deeper cuts, blooper reels, those kind of things for really people who are super fans, but also want to have more intimate discussions uh, with me and the guys, uh, mostly me because it'll be from my phone. So it's a nice way that we can build some support for the show so that we can pay our bills uh, and, and grow our team, but also provide you guys with really in-depth kind of unique content that's not going to change what we do on the main page so don't panic we're not going behind a paywall for our main stuff it's just this is a way that if you're a fan and you really want to have a voice in the conversation more directly it's a good way to, to do it a lot of people on the internet do this now big podcasters authors those kind of things they have this sort of way to connect with super fans so that's uh something that i would highly recommend if you want that sort of uh thing and i'm going to be creating more and more content in that space. Um, next up uh, today, I want to talk about um, this, you know, we, we, we talked about it quite a bit last year, this idea of, of violence against healthcare professionals. And it got to the point where, you know, we had this silent no more hashtag, and we're talking about the general epidemic of violence that seems to be happening that's aimed against healthcare practitioners, particularly EMS and hospital uh practitioners, but also, you know, there were events right here in Vegas where a pain clinic was shot up by a patient who then killed himself. Um, we've had uh, gunmen in, in, you know, UMC hospital here. It, it is an expression of a larger sort of degeneration in what our culture is in terms of healthcare practitioners and patients. It seems like in the setting of an opioid epidemic where mental health is poorly treated, where we medicalize our social problems and our economic problems, they end up in the hospital. And what happens is the culture now is that patients get what they want, that hospitals get paid somewhat on patient satisfaction. And I will tell you right now, the patient experience is crucial. We ignored it, we ignored it at our peril. They are the reason we exist. But when we are kowtowing to try to click the boxes and fulfill the numbers of HCAPs and all these other things without a bigger perspective, what happens is a, an unabashed sort of entitlement where families threaten staff, they expect to get their turkey sandwich and their blanket, and the staff are treated as resources, as commodities in this assembly line medicine. And administrators, many of whom have not touched patients or haven't done so in years, 
are then in charge of kind of mediating when things go wrong. So a good example of when things went wrong is a patient at Penn State Hershey. I linked to it earlier in an earlier post. Uh, apparently attacked uh, a nurse in the hospital bed, um, started to choke her, strangle her. Other nurses came in. His, he then, like, his clothes come off. Next thing you know, he's sexually assaulting the first nurse. Other people finally come in and subdue him, and the authorities come. And uh, you can imagine, and this we've talked about this before, we've told other stories about this, and people send me thousands of stories of their own. In fact, just now I got a message from a nurse who had two black eyes, and she said, this just happened, from a patient. Now, okay, when you have a culture where you, first of all, don't have a respect for the people who are trying to heal you, the healers themselves are running around trying to fulfill uh, obligations to multiple masters, to the billing people, to the administrators, to their own team, and to the patients, it creates these opposing sort of forces that create a moral conflict and a moral injury that leads to burnout. It's not really burnout, it's moral injury. But in the process of that now, you have uh, uh, patients who, yes, they're having the worst day or the worst month or the worst uh, minute of their lives. They're in, they're in the hospital, they're under stress, they're emotional. They may be on medication, they may be on drugs, all these other things. But we've said over the, over, over the years, we've set this sort of increasing premise that you know, the patient is always right and we try to make the situation so it doesn't feel like it's you know, a military camp or anything like that. And then what happens? We put our frontline care providers at risk. And then when something happens, like it just happened in Penn Hershey, and this was egre egregious, right? Just egregious, um, inexcusable. Well, what is the word from administration? It's absolutely freaking tone deaf. And I've just heard from other nurses who happen to work at that same facility, and they say, this is not an isolated incident. It's been going on for a while. And administration keeps saying things like, well, we'll do a root cause analysis. And they'll make public statements like, in the setting of healthcare where things are volatile and people are very emotional, you know, sometimes things happen, basically. And we feel very bad when our staff are assaulted and we're doing our best to support them. Okay, that's not good enough. When you're staff, when your employees are physically and sexually threatened by a patient, you need to say something stronger than that. And I'm talking just purely about perception. Forget about the processes. We'll talk about that. You need to go on record and say, we have a zero tolerance. I don't care if people are having a bad day. If you hit, verbally threaten, assault a healthcare practitioner, you go to jail. And I don't care if you've got IV drips going, take the IV drips and go to freaking prison because there should be a zero tolerance. These are people who are trying to help you. They put themselves at risk every day, just going to work, right? Most of the assaults in the workplace occur in healthcare settings. We all know someone or have been assaulted ourselves. So wh whoever their chief nursing officer is, whoever their PR people is, they need to do a better job. And using the term root cause analysis with the press is stupid. That does not carry any weight with the press. If you're trying to create the sense that you actually support your staff, don't use wonky terms like that. You can do your root cause analysis, that's fine. But if you don't actually change processes to keep staff safe, 
you know, whether it's a better set of security there, whether it's uh, wearing body cameras, whether we've talked about a lot of different spectrum of potential solutions. I'm not going to rehash it all there. The bottom line is if you're a leader in a healthcare enterprise and you don't show unwavering support for your staff, okay, you will always have patients. Okay, but you will not necessarily always have staff. Well, by the way, if anyone tells you and you work in healthcare that, oh, you know, you'll never get as good a job as this, you don't want to go anywhere else because you won't get a, a cushy job like this and you're unhirable, there aren't a lot of jobs, that is a lie. They are trying to control you. All right, anyways, that all aside, that just gets me upset. Um, hopefully, the administration there will work with the frontline staff to make it a safer place. We need to put signs around our hospitals, and some hospitals do this, saying there's a zero-tolerance uh, policy. We need to set an actual expectation that the place is not a hotel, that the place is a place where we're trying to help you work with us to get you better and out of here as quickly and safely as possible, because the hospital is the most dangerous place in the world you can be, short of a war zone, all right? because medical errors, infection, uh, uh, unnecessary interventions, all the kind of things that happen in hospitals, right? And again, so I'm not a nihilist about quality improvement. I want us to focus on quality processes, root cause analysis, those kind of things. But you have to understand that humans are narrative driven, we're emotional, we're story driven. And when you tell a story, we'll go ahead and perform a root cause analysis. And yes, these are volatile situations. Okay, screw you. You are absolutely tone deaf. And you need to get the hell out of that gig and go work for some, you know, biotech company because you're in the wrong space. All right, let's read some comments. Um, and then I want to talk about the guy in Texas uh, who raped a patient and got probation, didn't go to jail. Um, it's a felony to assault an RN in Texas, period. And James, and James. But and here's the thing. It may be a felony, which is great. But if they don't prosecute it, if lawyers aren't willing to take the case, the, the prosecutors not willing to push the case and that's often the case in many many circumstances it doesn't mean shit if they say it's a felony if, it, if it's not enforced then it's not a crime right um i had a doctor throw a laryngoscope at me kyle roan so lateral violence among healthcare providers is at, there should be listen how, why do i have to say this why do i even have to say this there should be a zero you should lose your medical license if you throw an instrument at another member of your team with the intent to hit them. All right? We're under stress, yeah? And it's been, it's been sort of legend that surgeons get to do this. They shouldn't get to do that. There are better ways to express unhappiness that don't destroy the team and create an assault environment. All right, which gets me to this. Well, let's read in a couple more comments. Um, Boy, a lot of comments here. Uh, they bring in new grads. They have no clue and are willing to accept the abuse. Cheryl Puckett. That's true. So a lot of the more senior staff are rolled out and they bring in new graduates who, first of all, first of all, we've created a culture where critical thinking doesn't matter anymore. It's about clicking boxes in an EHR and treating the computer, not the patient. So already they're already behind. And, and then you're saying, well, no, it's just part of this environment that you're going to get groped. You're going to get catcalled, sexually, uh, verbally assaulted, and potentially hit because patients are having a bad day. And by the way, mm, 
be nice to them because we don't want to get the impression that uh, you know the hospital is a, a military type of facility and that you know there's a security issue so we won't talk about those things but we'll just be really nice and put our best smile on and read from our studer script and that sort of thing okay bullshit all right okay and but listen I'm not discounting how important the patient experience is and how we screw it up on the daily. Patient safety is key and we screw that up on the daily. So I'm not absolving us of a deep responsibility. And there are organizations and processes that help us improve those things. But, but if you throw out this piece of this important cultural piece, you are going to wreck the next generation of healthcare people and it's going to, it's going to result in worse care and terrible outcomes. Um, all right, let's see. New grads are conditioned to feel like this is the norm. Cheryl Puckett, there it is. I mean, um, oh boy, a patient punched me in the face while I was chink Christina, Claudio, and I'm sure there are a lot of horrible comments here. I was a child adolescent psych nurse and those teens can rip you a new one. Glad I'm retired, Rocco Siore. And that's tough because then you have psychiatric overlay. So the question is, how do you, you obviously we have to be trained to deescalate and those sort of things, but you also need support and uh, security. It's very, very, uh, can be very scary. Who cares what the crime is uh, when you go home abused? I mean, yeah, Cheryl. All right, let's see. So the other thing I wanna talk about uh, and again, see, there's like a thousand comments. So people who've seen my show who are subscribers, there's a lot fewer comments because it's behind the paywall. So I tend to read every single comment. In this case, I can't because I'm also trying to make sure it's engaging for the whole audience. So I apologize if I don't read every single comment. All right, because I can't. The next thing I want to talk about is this. Many people have messaged me about this doctor in Texas. Uh, I forget where it was. I think it might have been Laredo or somewhere. I, f I forget exactly where. Uh, I think his last name was Sheik, and he was um, in, I, I forget it was 2015 or something, accused of sexually assaulting a patient who uh, was under care in the hospital. So apparently the story was he went in, said he needed to do a breast exam, obviously shenanigans occurred, he left, he came back, did something else, then sexually assaulted her. and. It ended up going finally to court. He lost his medical license there in 20-something. and But the criminal case proceeded and ultimately was judged as probation for 10 years with no jail time. So a lot of people were asking me, what do you think of this? Uh, isn't it an outrage, et cetera? All right. A lot of times, doctors get away with murder. And we were just talking about, you know, the surgeons who throw instruments, the, you know, guy who comes on the wards and starts shouting at people, verbally abusing people. Um, it, it, it's an archetype almost and partially constructed by the shitty way we're trained uh, and by the way we actually don't really screen for psychopathy. And in fact, we actually select for it in many specialties. Uh, it's, it's an advantage, right? And so as a result, we've have this sort of accepting tolerance of this kind of behavior, unacceptable. Now, this particular doctor, the reason it's difficult to specifically comment is that he went in front of a jury of his peers and had legal representation and she had legal representation and this was the outcome. So without being there for the trial, you can't extrapolate why he only got probation. I'm actually impressed he lost his medical license. Like in Las Vegas, he probably wouldn't lose his license. He'd probably get to keep his license. So that, you know, he'd have to do some weird probation and like, you know, stand on the corner of the road in an orange jumpsuit for a while and get a letter of reprimand. So he lost his license. But then if you read what his lawyer said, it was actually, wow. So his lawyer, um, I think he had a female lawyer and she said, you know, here's the thing. 
because the guy was like 45 or 46, something like that. He's like roughly my age. He, he, she said, you know, you've got this, um, this uh, effectively, this is what she said. And again, I'm paraphrasing. You have this 27-year-old Latina woman patient with the fake boobs. And then you have this nerdy 45-year-old middle-aged guy who just lost his mind. He just couldn't control himself. I mean, it's understandable, more or less, is what she was saying. So you tell me what you think of that. Um, this is a classic thing in rape trials where you try to blame the victim. And the fact that this patient had like an Instagram page where she modeled in lingerie or whatever, there were all kinds of stuff in the article that I was like, it doesn't matter if he raped her there in the hospital. First of all, having sex with a patient in the hospital, I don't care if it was consensual. That was his claim, it was consensual. I don't care if it was consensual. It is unethical at its primary level. It's a power differential that you're taking advantage of. It's gross, it's unethical. If it doesn't make you squirm and feel creepy, then you need to be in a different profession, all right? So that's my take on that. We need to obviously let these things go through the criminal justice system and talk about them and see if we think it was fair or not. Honestly, without being there, it's hard to go into the details. I don't know the doc. I don't know any backstory. So if you know backstory, hit me up. Let me know if there's something I should know. Oh, you know, he's a saint who, you know, only raped one woman. Oh, great. All right. I absolve him then. Come on, guys. Um, the administration is more concerned about customer service uh, and reimbursement based on satisfaction scores than they are about safety of staff, says Gretchen and Will Jennings. Oh, it's one of these combo, like where she shares it with her husband. Ugh, I never understood those. All right, none of the rules were enforced <laughs> and staff were, oh gosh, I can't read the rest of it because the comments are going so fast, they're scrolling on my phone. This is, the, this is one of the problems with these when you have 1,200 people watching at once. Uh, worked at a hospital ER. Sorry to make fun of you, by the way, Gretchen and Will. I was just joking um, about your name. Denise Bailefus, who is a supporter of the show, worked at a hospital ER and we had a doctor who used to try to grab on people. Denise, dude, we all know those stories, man. And, uh, you know, there was a doc at Stanford who used to, he was a community doc, and uh, he would come in drunk and smelling of cigarettes and just be like, groping on people. And everybody knew, all the residents knew who this guy was and knew to avoid him. And everyone was just like, wink, wink, that's, you know, Jerome, I'm making up the name. He's just, you know, that guy. Come on, man. Come on. Like, really? This is, these are the hallowed halls of medicine where we practice our sacred calling and we're letting this fucking jackass come in and behave like a sex offender, like a freaking pedophile. Like, come on, dude. Like, if that doesn't piss you off as profoundly as you can be pissed off, then you're jaded like me, like I was in residency when I just let it go, right? Now I get to tell you about it without using names. And who knows what the hell happened? Everybody knew about it. It was just like common knowledge of these guys. Um, oh, gosh. Just something else. Um, I wouldn't recommend any nurse to work in a hospital anymore, says Silinda uh, McNeil. <sighs> I mean, I understand that viewpoint. Obviously, we're going to have to say, how about we fix the, the culture in the hospitals and the security so that people don't feel that way? You know, this wasn't always a thing right? It's gotten worse. And I think partially it's culturally because we've elevated this patient satisfaction idea. The second cultural thing is we have more opioid abuse. And the third cultural thing is mental health is managed even worse. So, um, you know, everybody congregates in the hospital as the source of solving social problems. 
and that's the wrong place. So of course it's a powder keg, right? And our frontline staff and paramedics and EMS really, really get it tough. I mean, you're talking about people in, in these situations where they're going into shootings and, you know, like when the um, shooting happened at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, these paramedics were in deadly peril when they were there. And I met a lot of them, talked about them, did a show with them. Uh, I mean, talk about bravery, but this is putting your life on the line every day. Um, Kelly Adams, who's also a supporter of the show, you get a little badge when you support the show. So sad, long-term care uh, is bad too. Um, I bet Kelly in there, it's probably a lot of agitation uh, from dementia, Alzheimer's, which is an epidemic, but also um, families that get very upset. Uh, and it's tough because long-term care can be tricky. Family perception is that you know they're not getting the care they need, the staffing isn't good, et cetera. So it becomes a, a real big deal and, and a dangerous situation. Um, Let's keep scrolling down here. Visiting hours, Janet Kelly, and, and the expansion of visiting hours. So this is something that I'm very torn about, guys, because I know, especially in ICU, visiting hours are a big source of contention because you're not allowing... Uh, you, 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 it's very hard to take care of a patient if the family's always there asking for you know turkey sandwiches for themselves and using it as a hotel. But then on the converse... The hospital's already a scary, isolating place, and having good, supportive family be able to be present with the patient is such a powerful thing. So it's a tension, right? Because the part of me that's like, we're here to take care of patients and support their families says that we should be able to do this. But we all know on the front lines the practicalities of this and how difficult it is, especially in this era of entitlement, cell phones, people are secretly recording, trying to get a gotcha so they can get viral and get the views, right? Um, you know, uh, and there are quite a few comments about, wow, look at this, attacked by a patient's pit bull, says Pam Murphy, when walking out their front door or had just finished taking care of their loved one, home health can be dangerous. That's another thing, Pam. So home health, I get a lot of messages from people that you're walking into war zones in home health. You never know what's going on in that house. Between angry pets, angry family members, guns in the house, uh, drug paraphernalia, meth lab, God knows what. Y'all can tell me stories, I bet, that are just terrifying. And again, we're pushing home health because technically it can save resources and be a better part of the continuum of care and patients want, most, most of them want to be at home. So how do we make it safe for our home health providers? It's very, very tricky. But if we don't talk about these things, we're never going to begin to solve them. Um, Thank you, Rita. That's nice of you to say what you just said. Um, home health issues. Abuse in radiology, says Judy Labarowski. Awful. Patients have no respect. Family members are verbally abusive. And admin wants us to treat them like they're in a five-star hotel with turndown service. Judy, absolutely. I mean, heard and acknowledged. But I'm going to push back on all of us for one second. I'm going to play devil's advocate. As patients, and many of us have been patients in hospitals, how shitty it is it when people don't communicate with you, when they treat you like a number, when they're not listening to you, uh, when um, you're having to repeat your story 20 times to, the, to different people, when nobody knows who's doing what and who's responsible for what, people aren't introducing themselves, they're making a U-turn at the foot of the bed. It's terrible. The experience of it can actually lead to worse outcomes and, and poor attitude, poor compliance, poor healing. So we have to try to figure out systems that support our ability to do that better. Just asking us to treat people like it's in a, they're living in a hotel is not the answer, but it is the short-sighted answer of administrators who just simply don't know better. They just don't have a better answer. 
because it's a failure of, of imagination and understanding. And it's often people who've never touched patients or they're so far removed from it. That's why we need clinical leadership. We need physicians and nurses and respiratory therapists and dietitians to rise up through the ranks and lead, which means we need to groom them and train them and support them. And instead, when they become leaders, we can't sit and snipe at them. We can't go, oh, that guy sold out, now he's an administrator. No, support them. He's one of us trying to represent us. He's got two interests that he has to serve and he's trying or she's trying her best to balance those. We need to support those uh, folks desperately because they are our ticket to real leadership, not just management. We need leadership and vision to build Health 3.0. All right, on that note, if you're interested in more intimate discussions, like I said, click the supporter button, $4.99 a month. It means a lot to us, but it means that we have a little mini tribe where we can sort of hash some of these things out and then come bring them to the main page. If you have stories, feel free to private message me. Um, I can't guarantee I, I can answer all of them, but I read all the messages. You'll get a little auto response that says I can't answer all of these, but I, I read every single one, but we get hundreds a day. But I, again, in there usually, there's something where I may do a show about it. So. Don't hesitate to message me. Um, oh, check out our new uh, Pumoji parody today of Wonder Wall by Oasis. Uh, it was just a throwaway thing we did as an encore for the Puprika parody of Af Toto's Africa that we did. So if you haven't seen that, definitely check that out. Sign up for our email list. Uh, there's a link on Facebook, but also on our website. And definitely remember everything we do, except for like lives like this, sometimes we won't, we won't put them on the podcast. Most of them are podcasts. So if you have an interview, a show that we do, you can go to iTunes, search Incident Report, or SoundCloud, ZDogMD, and you'll see all our podcasts are there. They're also on our website. It's a great way to consume long content without having to uh, stare at my bald face. Also, we're going to be doing audio-only content. I'm going to be interviewing Ricardo Quarry, the uh, cardiothoracic surgeon at Cleveland Clinic, who was falsely accused by a patient of lying uh, in a legal suit and had his reputation damaged. He's gonna, we're going to be recording a show with him uh, this week, and we'll get it out to you in podcast form only because he's in Cleveland and I'm here coming very soon. So if you have questions you want me to ask him or talk to him about, private message me. All right, guys. I love you. We out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.